Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A marvelous, marvelous Friday to you all. Welcome to this Friday weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. This show is brought to you by my sleeping toddler in the next room over. So what we're going to do is what I can only refer to as an old broadcaster's trick, which is to talk quieter, but with far more inflection, even if the volume stays relatively low. So it's how you sound excited without having to get actually super loud. This is, of course, a week in review podcast. So we'll be diving into the ads, the drops, the streamables, the tough holds, the stash guys, the markets, marketplace movers as we get you guys all set up for a weekend of fantasy basketball. And then, of course, we'll pivot back around on Monday with a reverse chronological lightning round. To those new to the program, I don't normally talk this quietly. This is different, but wanted to get the show out. It was either this or do it at like 9 o'clock tonight Pacific time, and that felt like not something I wanted to do. So we're doing Sleeping Toddler Edition of Fantasy NBA Today. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And of course, you absolutely positively must follow the single best fantasy news feed on planet Earth at Ethos Fantasy BK. It is the most impressive combination of lightning fast with brilliant analysis that you can find anywhere on the internet. Again, that uh, really taking off over the last couple of weeks, and I do wonder if some of it is you guys finally going over there and following that feed, but it's every blip of fantasy news that comes out as it happens in real time. You don't have to wait. I got too loud there for a minute. Risk waking up the little man. Abandon ship on the podcast. Let's dive right into the fantasy stuff today. Uh, I wanted to do the ads last because, you know, classic bury the lead kind of move force you guys to listen to more of the podcasts uh streamables right now is where we are going to begin Devonte graham is a new addition to this board because brandon ingram might have gotten hurt in yesterday's pelicans win over the knicks he's questionable for the next game after an ankle sprain ingram not exactly the world's fastest healer but it's possible he could play in their next ball game, And if he does, then this whole plan goes out the window. But as we've seen before, when Ingram is down and the usage for everybody else spikes way up, that this is a really good thing for Jonas Valanciunas. It's a good thing for Josh Hart. It's a very good thing for Devontae Graham. He's the guy that moves from more that 130, 140 range to around top 100 with the extra usage. And so he becomes a streamable asset. Patty Mills is a streamable asset. We haven't seen the Nets play a home game in a little while, but when they do, that's where you can stream him, which, of course, makes him kind of a difficult player to use in the kind of traditional fantasy sense of picking up a guy and just starting him every ball game. I know he was actually decent in their last one in Washington. He had five three-pointers there, but I think where you can truly trust him is a home game. He's going to get a bunch of shots because at home right now, it's James Harden and then a whole bunch of these other guys and Mills is going to be the floor spacer. They're going to need him to be aggressive. He is not a particularly well-rounded fantasy player, but on the year right now, he's still sitting at right around that 115 range, mostly just because he's hitting a crap ton of three-pointers. And if you, I think you can almost safely say it'll be a little bit more than what he was doing before, 
which might move him into the three and a half three pointer range. And just doing that by itself gets you into the right around the 100 range. Doing it with any kind of half decent percentages is where the upside's built in. He's at 44% right now on mostly three pointers. That's pretty good to have a guy that's getting you that many threes while not completely sinking your field goal percent. Compared to a guy like a Buddy Heald, who's actually doing much more just overall, but his field goal percent is so low that it counterbalances that stuff. So Patty Mills is a stream for home games. Clay Capella is a game-time decision, which makes Onyeko Kongwu streamable in the very short term. I'm, I'm kind of curious on this one. What happens to Okongwu when Capella comes back? It seemed like they might have been moving towards a 28-20 minute split between Capella and Okongwu. And if Okongwu's getting 20 minutes, he probably still belongs on a roster. Now, as a full-time starter getting 30 minutes, he's going to put up top 50 kind of fantasy numbers. Like, he has really big-time upside in that Rashawn Holmes vein kind of deal where not as good at the free throw line, better at blocking shots. That's kind of where that levels off between the two guys. They're very much not the same fantasy uh, player, but it, it is kind of that same, like, get him out there for the right number of minutes and everything goes completely nuts. 20 minutes, you're probably looking at that 115, 125 range, but if there's any kind of upside built in, and there certainly is because Capella's not the world's healthiest horse, you almost have to consider hanging on sort of a streamer with benefits type of deal for Okongwu. John Conchar is the next name on our streamables list. That's because most of the Memphis Grizzlies are out right now. And for Conchar, they almost have no choice but to play him a truckload of minutes. And if you're going to get that much playing time, you're going to do something with it. He didn't have a particularly good shooting night in Milwaukee. They're in Denver tonight. And maybe he takes a few more shots in that one. But in the very limited sample size we have on Conchar, when he's hit 30 minutes, he's been a fantasy play. I don't think we fully know what his fantasy game is, really. But when he played 30 minutes against Minnesota on the 13th of this month, a little over a week ago, he had 15 points and 17 rebounds with three three-pointers on a very good shooting night. He's not going to be a high-usage guy on offense. In their last game against Milwaukee on Wednesday, he didn't take many shots. I think he was three for eight in that ball game. So only six points, but seven rebounds, three assists, a steal, and two blocks. So there was a little bit more of the well-roundedness to that one. And so we don't really fully know. Is he going to be a guy that gets steals or blocks when given an opportunity here? My guess is not really. I think the blocks were a little bit fluky. Um... Just looking at his his season in total, he's only at 0.2 blocks in 17 and a half minutes, but the steals are decent. He's at 0.8. Get him full starters minutes. He might be in the mid ones in the steals department, and the rebounds actually been pretty good. Starters minutes, you might expect him to get around seven to nine rebounds per ball game. So I think he's a streamable play. As guys come back for the Grizzlies, it probably won't quite be enough because he really does need 30 minutes. You know what? John Conchar kind of fits the mold of the old. Marvin Thad line we used to talk about on the podcast. Marvin Williams, Thaddeus Young, before he remade himself as a, a point center, were guys that just needed to play 30 minutes. And if they did, they were a fantasy start. Like clockwork. If they didn't hit 30 minutes, they weren't going to be there. If they did, they were. And I think Conchar might be that kind of guy. It's a low usage play. Doesn't shoot much. 
but just does enough little things that over 30 minutes in a ball game they add up. I had to put Io and Kobe, Kobe White on this thing because with Lonzo Ball out now for four to eight weeks, depending on what reports you're reading, and Zach Levine out at least another week, I'm guessing probably even a little bit longer. Those two guys are free to roam the the plains in Chicago. Although does Alex Caruso coming back does shake things up a little bit, and that'll put a bigger dent into Io than it does into White because Kobe's going to be asked to score. And that role is open. DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic are the only two guys on the team right now that are expected to put the ball in the bucket. So they're going to need Kobe White to take some shots. And that raises the floor for a fantasy streamer, where a guy like Io, he's not going to take that many shots as they get healthy. And as Caruso gets in there, he's probably going to take a lot of Io's playing time, or at least it's kind of a similar thing that they'll do on the basketball court. But I think you can stream those two guys right now. And, you know, we talked about buying low on Caruso for weeks and weeks on this podcast. Is there still an opportunity for that? Uh, Probably not. It's probably too late now that folks have seen him come back. And there's always the big hype around Alex Caruso, not because of any one thing he does on the court. He's just such a beloved basketball character. But I think you can still stream... uh, Dasumu for a little bit here longer. And then with White, that one to me is the easier one. Clippers, couple of streamers on the Clippers. Nick Batum is out right now, which I think gives Reggie Jackson finally the opportunity to, to really be the primary orchestrator. So he's probably streamable here in the very short term. Amir Coffey has been a streamable play basically since Paul George went down this last time around. You, with, with Reggie, I'm inclined to... I'm really for both of these guys. I don't think I'm streaming them in Roto. And then in head-to-head, I don't know that I really want to use a move on it, but at least those are guys in head-to-head where you can pick them up and you could conceivably just kind of roll them out for a few weeks and see what happens. You don't have to use up a bunch of roster moves expecting that someone's about to come back and knock them off what they're doing right now, meaning they're kind of a long stream to some degree, even if they're not that great. They are stream level, and you probably don't have to use a move for a handful of weeks. There is a value built into not having to use extra moves in head-to-head. And then it sounds like Tyrese Halliburton is clearing protocols. I don't know if he's ready to go. Kings don't play until tomorrow, which means that I think it's probably the end of a very short Terrence Davis mega burst. Was really hoping we'd get one more game out of him before Halliburton came back, but at the same time, you know, we at Sports Ethos, we were very high on Tyrese Halliburton around here. So the fact that he's coming back, a lot of teams getting him back. I don't know. I just really enjoyed the Terrence Davis stream, and I feel like we we hardly knew E on this one. A couple of tough holds on this list and, and stash type guys. There are five names in the tough hold and stash categories for me this week. Kemba Walker and Nick Batum are more in the tough hold category because I think we really do need to see what Kemba Walker is. Knicks were so bad offensively in their last ball game. Again, broken record type of thing at this point, but he has the ability to pop off if they let him. Now, if he stays extremely passive again this time around, then I think you probably move on. And that's why it's a tough hold right now because it is very possible, nay, probable even, I think probably a better than 50-50 shot that Kemba's just not going to be old Kemba, whether it's the knee or the system, or, you know, I like, I like to flip that, 
phrase around and call it subtraction by addition. The Knicks just have too many guards and wings on their roster. And Cam Reddish and Derrick Rose aren't even there yet. So it's tough hold right now, but I don't know that the outlook is that great. I'd rather spend my tough hold credit on Nick Batum, who was really getting going, had that crazy 30-plus point game right before heading into protocols, but it sounds like he's uh, an asymptomatic positive, and he might be getting out of them in under a week. So maybe this was a very quick catch-and-release kind of thing on Batum's protocol situation. If that's the case... You know, my original thought was probably move on if you were going to have to keep him sidelined for 10 days. There just wasn't enough built-in upside there. But if he's really going to be back in two games on the shelf, then that's something you can hang on to. Guys that I think fall more into the stash department, uh, Jalen Suggs, who is just a pillar of inefficiency right now, but should get better, I would think, by March Maybe even by February, but I don't want to set my sights too high on that one. You guys know how I feel about rookies. This is a squad-on kind of guy. If you're in Roto, you're not starting him. If you're in head-to-head, you are, and you're just hoping that he doesn't tank you in three categories as he starts to figure things out. But he's back in the starting lineup, so he's about to get asked to do a bunch of stuff as Orlando goes real hard into the youth stuff. And his usage is going to ramp up. It's a very high draft pick. His usage is going to get high. They're going to play him. DeAnthony Melton is a stash right now. He's not even a tough hold anymore. Tough holds are guys that I'm planning on starting in my Roto League most of the time. Stash guys are dudes that I'm not planning on starting, and I mostly just want to see what happens between now and the trade deadline or some other arbitrary deadline like we have with Suggs. And with Melton, he's, they just are not using him in Memphis. This is what it is now. Every time we think maybe they'll cut him loose and like if you think back to the beginning of this season when Dylan Brooks was out and Melton was great he was a top 65 guy for that first month and it seemed like he had finally carved out his role and then whoo gone gone again you know Zaire Williams has passed him in the pecking order Tyus Jones is way in front of him in the pecking order they need to move him and get something because they're not playing him what's the point of having him sitting around especially now with this many guys out and he still wasn't seeing playing time there needs to be another plan. The plan is get him someplace else, and if he does end up someplace that's going to give him 25 to 30 minutes of ball a game, you're going to want to be sitting on him when that happens. And then a much shorter-term stash is Luke Kennard, who I think is about to ramp back up to 30 minutes of ball a game, probably in the Clippers' next two games, if I, had to, if I had to guess. And when he shakes off the rust, there's a chance he could be like a 17 to 20-point scorer here while Par George remains out, because the rest of the Clippers offensively and I know they woke up in their last ball game, but for the most part, they haven't been able to shoot at all. Just a just a super ugly grind of a game every time out. And Kennard has the ability to space the floor. He can pass a little bit, not a ton, but because he can shoot, because guys are going to be closing out on him, that's going to give him opportunities to make that one extra pass. So threes, smattering of assists, very few defensive stats, good free throw percent, probably somewhat low field goal number. Upside is like top 90 while Paul George is out, so it's really not super exciting. Uh, but again, this is that, you know, with streamers drying up a little bit, this is where you're looking for guys that might give you more like three, four, five weeks kind of deal, and he might be one of those guys. Low probability, but not zero. And now we get into the sort of the bigger chunks, the drops and the ads. The drops. 
all backup centers in Phoenix. I was pretty excited about getting JaVale McGee in there with DeAndre Ayton out because earlier in the year, when Ayton went out, McGee was crushing it. But this time around, JaVale has McGee-like competition in Bismarck Biombo. And Biombo has been better than JaVale during this little fill-in run for DeAndre Ayton. In fact, over the last two games, Bismack has played 25 and 28 minutes. He's been horrible at the free throw line, hasn't blocked a shot. And so this is not me telling you you need to pick up Biombo, but he's doing just enough to make JaVale McGee not fantasy useful. Very disappointing turn of events. I know that for Phoenix, they like it because they can go to a big man who's a little bit little bit more disciplined defensively, a little bit of a better rebounder in Biombo, not as good of a shot blocker, not as good around the rim as McGee. But it just gives them kind of two different looks while they wait on Aiton to come back. And for JaVale, you know, we thought he was going to get at least 20 minutes a game with Aiton out like it was last time, closer to 20. That's generally enough. He's been, he got 23 against the Spurs but then he only got 18 against the Mavs, and that, as it turned out, wasn't quite enough for him. If we could confidently say he was going to get 20 minutes a game with no Aiden, he'd be a start. Uh, and it is averaging out around that, but too many of these games have actually come in underneath that mark. So I don't know that he's a must-start guy, McGee, anymore. You're certainly not starting Biombo because of all his fantasy flaws. Uh, could you continue to stream McGee? Yeah, you could. I just don't think it's all that. It's, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that, you know, you're talking about maybe a 50-50 shot at best. Hey, before we jump on to the next one, wanted to remind you guys about our partnership with the great folks over at manscaped.com. Use promo code ETHOS20 to get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get at manscaped.com. The best in men's grooming. Two free gifts, actually, if you shop there right now. Two free gifts. Boxers, a toiletry bag, with your purchase of the Performance or Perfect Package 4.0, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0 and other delightful accoutrements. The Weed Whacker, that's for ear and nose hair. The Crop Preserver, that's a deodorant, a toner, and a shaving mat. All comes in the Performance Package 4.0. That's 120 bucks. Minus 20%. So you knock $24 off of that guy. And the perfect package 4.0 is just 100 bucks. That's a lot more 4.0. Uh, it has the deodorant, the toner, and the shaving mat. Does not include the ear and nose hair trimmer, but you could get that for 80 with our coupon code. And again, right now, you get the bonus boxers and toiletry bag at manscaped.com with promo code ethos20. If you don't want to go whole hog yeah i know i know i probably should have rethought that but if you don't want to do that you can get smaller things you can get the lawnmower 4.0 by itself the lawnmower 3.0 by itself which by the way i'm actually a massive fan of the lawnmower 3.0 the plow that's a single blade razor the shaver that's a three blade razor with the the lubrication strip the weed whacker we already told you about that shears that's a luxury nail kit replacement blades for any of this stuff deodorant we've talked about boxers t-shirt want to wear a manscaped t-shirt hell yeah you do i got one wear it around the house chapstick lip balm they got it all at manscaped.com use promo code ethos 20 to get 20 percent off and free shipping on your order it's good stuff people please just go check it out tell them dan sent you they won't care 
Terrence Ross and Gary Harris are officially drops. They were earlier in the week. Remember, this is a week in review show, so some of this stuff is going to be a couple days old in terms of the news. But just in case you missed one of the shows earlier this week, Terrence Ross, also injured, by the way, now, but he's lost his playing time in Orlando basically since Jalen Suggs came back. And Gary Harris, who hasn't lost his playing time, but has lost his usage in Orlando since Suggs came back. Harris still played 32 minutes in the last ballgame, but only took seven shots, just not being asked really to do much of anything besides play good position defense. And unfortunately, that ain't enough. On a team that's about to go hard into the youth movement, Gary Harris getting seven shots in 32 minutes just isn't going to get it done. Those guys are pretty easy drops, I believe. You know, just because a guy's playing 30 minutes a game doesn't need to be mean he need to be on a roster. I think that's the case with, with Gary Harris. He doesn't need to be on a roster anymore. And I'm pretty upset about the Terrence Ross thing because he was posting some really nice fantasy lines before Suggs came back, who now is just, you know, inefficiently getting in the way of a bunch of other guys. I, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I put Omar Yurtsevin on this list because... I don't know why, because Bam Adebayo came back on Monday, so technically it still happened this last week. But if anybody's still hanging on to Yurtsevin, please, Lord, move on. That one requires no more than 20 seconds of our time. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is on the drop list now. Marcus Smart apparently is uh, he's questionable, but he's very close to playing. If you wanted to stream Schroeder for one more game or if you wanted to really kind of hang on the news, if you get a... Good Marcus Smart report immediately dropped Dennis Schroeder. If you get a bad Marcus Smart report, you could start him for one more ball game. So, I, you know, that's still out there. I just put him in this. This is almost like a pre-drop here on Schroeder if you were getting rid of him, which is kind of uh, what I was mentioning folks shouldn't do with a guy like Anyoko Kongwu, but you very much should with Dennis Schroeder. He's been horrible when Smart, Brown, and Tatum are all on the floor together. And with Smart coming back here in the next game, probably two at the absolute latest, Shooter's about to turn into a pumpkin. The three-headed monster in Washington. Look, I, like, here's the thing. If you're in a highly competitive league, you have two different factors in your brain you need to try to figure out. Factor number one is, do you have the roster space to stash someone who's not really performing, but also not injured. You can't put them in an IL slot, which is kind of what we're talking about with a guy like DeAnthony Melton, who we know the upside is crazy high, but he's just not performing. It's kind of the same story with Daniel Gafford. Upside is very high. He's not performing, although the, the reasons are quite different there. With Melton, we just don't even know. He's so deep in the doghouse in Memphis that he can't see his way out. With Gafford, there's just too many centers on the roster now. Daniel Gafford, defensive-minded center, Thomas Bryant, more of an offensive-minded center, Montrez Harrell, more of an attacking-type center. You can even throw Davis Bertans in that mix, who's the, the sort of the softest of the four, but the floor-spacing one, there are just too many options. And what that means, basically, is that each one of those guys is probably going to have one good game out of about every three, and unfortunately, that isn't enough right now. Someone needs to go. So it's that same thing. None of them is hurt. You can't IL stash this dude. Can you afford to squat on Daniel Gafford for a little under three weeks. See if he gets moved at the trade deadline. See if Montrez gets moved at the trade deadline. You got to think that they're trying to at least move one of those three guys because there's just too many. They have a glut of centers. It's not a viable way to run a basketball team when you know you have three guys all fighting for the same minutes and whoever's playing best on a given night gets, what, 22 of them? 
okay, fine. You can like, you can really tell everybody to go buck wild for their 15 minutes on the floor. But is that, I mean, that's going to at some point breed resentment because that's just not very much time. Personally, I don't think I have room on my team to squat on a guy. So I would probably have to move on. If you're choosing between Gafford and Melton, I think Melton is the guy I would rather squat on right now just because the path is open. Should he have one good ball game, he might manage to push his way back into a bigger role. I don't think that's happening with Gafford. Even if he has a good ball game, I don't think it changes what they're doing the next night. It's not like, oh, Gafford's back. Now we should just give him 20 minutes every night. It's going to be, oh, cool, Gafford had a good game, but this next game, it's going to be whoever's playing well again. And maybe that's the same story with Melton. Maybe neither one of those guys is worth stashing to the trade deadline. But boy, I'll tell you, if Melton gets traded, he probably ends up on a team that actually wants to play him. If Gafford gets traded, I don't. I think he probably ends up in a similar role. If Montrez gets traded, that might be the best of all worlds, where who knows what he ends up doing, but at least it gives Gafford and Thomas Bryant a chance to split the center minutes, and then both might end up with value. So we really need now here an addition by subtraction type of deal opposed to what we just talked about a moment ago. And then Pat Beverly is the other name I have on this list. He's questionable with his ankle sprain. He has, to his credit, to Bev's credit, uh, healed faster this year than previous times. He's always going to get hurt once every three weeks, like clockwork. Like clockwork. It's the same damn thing every single time. But he's been able to get himself back on the court with a little bit less insanity in between where like a hamstring thing isn't a six-week deal it's like two or an ankle isn't three weeks it's one so maybe he gets himself back quickly you guys know i love pat beverly he's so perfect for punt point format teams as well but again you know when we get our news on him that will certainly help determine what kind of decisions we need to make uh minnesota i believe plays tomorrow no, are they playing tonight? I don't think Minnesota plays for a few days here. They're on a long off stretch. I might be losing my mind there. Uh, they're hosting Brooklyn on Sunday, so I don't know. I mean, maybe he's back by that one. Could we give him till that ball game? Yeah, probably. Eh, all right, fine. Call him, call him a tough hold in Roto. He's never a guy you can hold in head-to-head because he's hurt this often. You have no confidence he's going to play all of his games in a given week. Those are guys you just can't have on a head-to-head team. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. Prop up, people, with prop bets at Thrive Fantasy. No longer, no longer must you toil at the deepest corners of the darkest dumpsters in DFS gaming. No longer must you try to figure out if Saban Lee is going to play six minutes in a ball game and take four shots. No longer! No longer must you try to figure out if Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to log more than 19 minutes in a basketball game. No longer must you determine if Matt Thomas is worth playing on the Chicago Bulls. Because at Thrive Fantasy, you only need to focus on the names, the big names, the superstars, the folks you care about. 20 prop bets to choose from. You pick 10 overs and unders. If you get the most points from your selections, you win money in the Thrive Fantasy Tournament du jour. 
100% deposit match bonus and multiple free game vouchers with just a $10 deposit using promo code ethos, E-T-H-O-S. Head on over there, throw 10 bucks in the account, and you get another 10 on the deposit match and two $20 contest entry vouchers, $60 of play for $10 of deposit at thrivefantasy.com with promo code ethos. Check them out now. They're a fantastic partner. You guys are going to have a lot of fun. I really, I promise you're going to enjoy yourself. It's fun. In my estimation, it's better than traditional DFS. I know that plenty of folks out there love regular DFS. I'm just not one of them. So something different, something special. This is right up my alley. Thrive Fantasy, they've got the app, Apple's, uh, Apple Store, Android Store, wherever you got to go, or the computer, thrivefantasy.com. That's where my old people like me go to play it. Check it out now. You go to play it. Check it out now. And finally... Nope, no, not finally. Excuse me. A um, couple of marketplace notes. I think you could still sell Kyle Kuzma, even though we we already saw the beginning of the cooldown. I think you could still sell Anthony Simons. He had another big ball game there, but Norm Powell's still out. That's going to take another chunk of usage away. We're already going to see it a little bit with CJ McCollum. And I think you might be able to sell Chris Boucher right now. I think we've finally hit that cresting point where folks are starting to trust that he's useful. This one I'm not sure on. I think maybe we're still at a point where you could get more by just riding out the Boucher thing. But if if that public opinion is starting to tilt the way I think it might be, we're close to where you can be like, look, I'm going to go out and see if I can get myself a top 90, top 85 kind of guy. And if you can score that, it takes a lot of the stress away of what happens as Toronto gets healthy. Here's the thing, though. Here's the argument to hold on Chris Boucher. Toronto's playing their guys like 45 minutes a game right now. Someone's going to be hurt at all times. And all it really takes, we're seeing right now, is one guy to be hurt for Boucher to have a big offensive role again or just a big minutes per game role. So maybe don't sell him. I rethink that as I'm talking about it. With Simons, I think that's a that's a one you got to at least try on. Shoot for top 55, top 60 range. Those are pretty damn reliable dudes. That's fifth round or earlier. And with Kyle Kuzma, I, I truly don't know what you can get for Kyle. I forgot to put out polls on him the other day. We'll try to do that over the weekend. I would imagine you can get a top 75 player for Kuzma after his hot recent run. And if you can, you probably should. Did I slowly get louder over the course of this podcast? I feel like I did. We need to go back into broadcaster mode here. We're keeping the, it's not a baby anymore. We're keeping the toddler asleep. We're doing it so far. We're doing it. We're almost there. The ads of the week. I want to start the ads with my good friend, Kelly Olenek, who just got a really nice boost with Jeremy Grant headed into protocols earlier today. Yes, it seemed like Jeremy was getting very close to coming back from his leg injury, but he's in protocols now, and we don't know how long that's going to sideline him. It might be another, it might be three or four days. It might be a week. It might be a week and a half. But it doesn't sound like he's playing at any point, I would think, until at the earliest, the middle of next week, which gives Olenek now a little bit of time, thank goodness, a little bit of time to get his legs back underneath him, not like he needed to. He was absolutely unbelievable in Detroit's win in Sacramento. They're not all going to be that easy because you're not going to play the Kings every night. But everybody got to see what we've been talking about on this podcast for three and a half years. Kelly Olenek, when given any kind of opportunity... Is a fantasy juggernaut. I kept fluctuating between being ridiculously bullish on Olenek and a little bit bearish, and it was mostly related to Jeremy Grant's potential return. 
taking out the power forward minutes that Olenek was going to be able to get while he's out. I put Brandon Clark back on this list for the third consecutive Friday because I'm still seeing websites putting out articles that are like, oh, Brandon Clark is a grab now. We're so far ahead of that nonsense. You guys listening, you guys are so far ahead of that nonsense. You can't be running two weeks behind everybody else. That's an unacceptable number. If you're a website that's just putting Brandon Clark out in the last four or five days, get it together. Dude's been really, really good the entire month of January. We're talking three weeks at this point of Clark basically dunking on people. And over the last month, he's number 61 in nine category leagues in 21 and a half minutes per game. Yep, that's what we talked about. When he's playing 20 minutes, he's top 90. Blocks, boards, field goal percent through the roof. Get him up to 24, 25 minutes a game, which is where he's been at lately. That's top 50. Brandon Clark, he's been crushing for almost a month now. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is another name I put on this list for the third consecutive week. Kept telling you guys, everybody's dropping him. Everybody's getting annoyed with Aldridge because they think he's lost his gig, but it was his foot and it was COVID. He really wasn't feeling well. And finally, for the first time in about a month, he kind of looks like himself again without Kevin Durant around. The avenue to take shots in the front court is wide open, and he's looked really good in his two games since coming back. He's now rostered. It's jumped. He was like down around 40%. It's up to 60% after those two big ball games, but we were way out in front of the curve on that one too. Uh, A couple of newer names on the board here. Um, Danilo Gallinari I threw on this list, and this one probably is going to require a little bit of convincing because there isn't any one thing he's doing that is so good as to say, you know, this is a guy you absolutely positively must have on your roster. Over the last week, he's sitting right around the edge of the top 100, which is better than streamer level. That's a startable guy. That's uh, beginning of the ninth round, effectively. So that's a guy that typically should be in in a 12-team lineup. Uh, He's doing it in about 27, 28 minutes per game, which is a number that probably doesn't hold all the way through. But it does seem like since they punted on Cam Reddish and with Capella out, Gallo's also been able to grab a couple extra minutes. But he's already playing a little bit more even before that. And when he's not ice cold, it seems like they're trying to give him just a little bit more offensively. He's someone who can create, you know, particularly when Trey Young is not on the floor. He's a guy they can give the ball to and say, all right, go figure something out. He can go get himself to the free throw line. He can hit a three-pointer. He's a gifted offensive player that they weren't really using. And the beauty of Gallo is that his numbers can grow pretty quick. You know, we've seen him as a top 40 fantasy player in starters minutes. So get him up to that 24-25 minute mark. He should be able to hold near the edge of the top 100, even if it's just on the shoulders of hitting like four out of four free throws every ballgame. That's a powerful weapon. Some threes. A bunch of points, great free throw percent. I think there's a little bit of upside there with Gallo that I don't know that anybody's talking about right now. The Hawks are just slowly feeding him minutes. My concern is, does he continue to see this many minutes after Capella comes back, or do the Hawks try to find a way to get a Kongwu in more 
at power forward? Could they run those guys at the same time? I don't think so because there's no floor spacing there, and Gallo does a whole lot of that. And another thing to keep an eye on is, could the Hawks trade John Collins at the deadline? They could. And if that was the case, and they don't bring a power forward back, that would be a wide-open door for Gallo. I actually like kind of... I have a weird soft spot for Gallinari. And if I'm going to put Gallinari on the list, I kind of have to put DeAndre Hunter there, who's been shooting the lights out since he's come back uh, from injury over the last week. He's shooting close to 50%. He's right around the edge of the top 100 in that time frame as well, largely because the percentages have been good and the blocks have been kind of on the high side. I actually don't think Hunter has the upside of Gallinari, which I know sounds crazy because he's scoring much better than Gallo right now, and his defensive stats have been much better than Gallo's right now. Uh, But that field goal percent is going to come down. I think the shots per game actually come down a little bit as well, although maybe his health now is allowing him to, to stay a bit more aggressive. The rebounds probably don't hold once Capella's back in the mix. I don't know that the shot blocking is going to hold at over one per game either. Because if you look at last year, even or the season before, last year before during his breakout campaign before he got hurt, he was only a half a block a game. So the fact that he had a three block game a few nights back with 20 points, like some of that stuff is, is some of that shine is coming off. We'll see. I'm not super excited about the Atlanta Wings. And if, if you're going to go with any of them, it's going to have to be Hunter over Herder. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is the most interesting of the bunch, but he can't stay healthy. So assuming he's out, Hunter's the next choice on the board. And then Herter, I don't think I'm touching at all. Kelly Oubre Jr. is an ad because he's back and he's warm. He's a guy you start when he's hot and you bench when he's not. That one's a pretty easy one. And the Indiana Pacers are the last team in the ads department that I want to spend some time on. And we can, we can actually sort of pause here and make sure that we effectively cover what we, wanted, what we want to get to with Indiana, which is, okay, uh, Demonis Sabonis is now out as well. Um, in addition to Miles Turner, who's likely out through the All-Star break, was the sort of updated report on Miles Turner. With Sabonis, we don't know. It's an ankle sprain. Uh, head coach Rick Carlisle thought it was going to be, I think he used the term significant, but I don't know if that means a week, two, three. We'll see. My guess is probably around two weeks. But now that Sabonis is out, what do we really want to make of that front court? And unfortunately, we didn't get a great look at it because the Pacers beat the Warriors. By the way, while everybody's talking about how this is like the worst thing that could ever possibly have happened to the Lakers the night before, and it was. It was a really ugly loss for LA. Warriors lost to a Pacers team that was resting Levert and Brogdon. So, man, I know that it's like hip to to talk about the Lakers being a disaster, but that was a pretty bad loss for the Warriors as well. Or maybe the Pacers were never as awful as they looked which is probably true. I don't know that we're ever as bad as they were playing. They were the worst clutch team in the NBA, just a ton of close games that they kept losing. That's a lot of 50-50 type spots where if, you know, a couple extra better plays down the stretch, Pacers could be seven, eight games better at this point. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, the main topic here is what do we do with Sabonis out probably for a couple weeks and Turner out for longer than that? My favorite play is Torrey Craig. 
Yes, even above Goga Batadze. Everybody wants to keep ramming Goga Batadze down my throat. And I'll admit, now that both centers are out, Goga does have a much better outlook. He played 31 minutes last night uh, in Golden State in that overtime game. Got himself ejected, or maybe it could have even been more. Wasn't in foul trouble, probably because the Warriors have no interior presence, really, ever. But certainly with Draymond out. 13 points, 9 boards, 5 assists, 1 block on terrible percentages. And uh, did hit a 3-pointer. But look, if Goga's playing 31 minutes, he's a guy that needs to be started. I know that yesterday's game was a very bad one from an efficiency standpoint, but you're looking at the opportunity. And with no Sabonis and no Miles Turner, the opportunity is there. It almost seems impossible for Goga not to hit some 22 minutes a game with both centers out. So yes, he is now an ad. Though, I don't at all go back on my original assessment, which is that when only Miles Turner was out, Goga was going to be terrible still. And he played three minutes in the game when Sabonis was healthy. Unfortunately, for us, for me in particular, while I was right about that point, which is that Goga was not going to be good with only one of the two centers out, everybody that was saying, no, he's going to be good, picked him up, and now they get lucky that Sabonis got hurt. Well, if Goga's still on your wire, go pick him up, because now that both centers are out, he will actually be better. Um, but I like Torrey Craig more. Torrey played 34 minutes uh, in the game in Golden State, but more importantly, he played big minutes in the game where only Miles Turner was out. So he played 31 in Los Angeles. He also played 31, by the way, a uh, week and a half ago in Boston, and that one... I believe both centers were in. Someone in foul trouble in that ball game? I can't recall. I think Miles Turner might have been in foul trouble in that one. So it was a pretty clear one-to-one kind of thing. When one of the centers was down, Torrey Craig was the first man to grab those minutes. He's a big-time rebounder from the forward position. Good defensive stats. Not a good three-point shooter. He did hit a couple in Golden State, but he's going to find himself open because teams aren't going to be paying much attention to him. I think you can add Torrey Craig everywhere pretty much for the duration of Miles Turner's absence. His floor is top 125, just playing a ton of minutes. And you kind of saw that in Los Angeles against the Lakers, where he couldn't shoot to save his life, but he did have 13 rebounds and two blocked shots. And then he came back the next night in Golden State, he shot the ball a little bit better. 12 points, 7 boards, 3 steals, 1 block, 2 three-pointers. That's a really good 3 and D kind of fantasy line. And again, it's the, it's the Marvin Thad line type of player. Get him out there for 30 minutes, good things happen. You can look at Torrey... I mean, it is, it is straight up a linear... It's, it's one-to-one, basically. If you look at Torrey Craig's season, find me the games where he's played 30 minutes or more. One, two, three, four, there are five of them. In those five games, one of them was way back on October the 29th. He played 34 minutes, had 28 and 11 whopper of a game four three-pointers and three assists no defensive stats oddly enough but you ain't arguing about the rest of that the rest of them have all been recent new year's eve played 31 minutes and 44 seconds against chicago had 10 points 11 boards five assists a steal and two blocks in boston we just talked about that one he had 19 and four with a steal and three threes and then the last two games with no miles turner five and 13 with two blocks 12 and seven four defensive stats and two three-pointers Torrey Craig, to me, is a pretty damn safe four-week stream that no one is touching because he's the least sexy streamer I've ever seen in my life. He might average eight points 
during the four weeks Miles Turner's out, but eight points and call it eight or nine rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals, one block, one three-pointer, that's a top 80 fantasy player. That's Danny Green-esque, but with more rebounds and fewer threes and probably a better field goal percent because I got to imagine he's going to go to the rim a little bit. The only thing we don't really know about Torrey Craig is can he shoot free throws? Historically, the answer's been no, but historically also the answer's been he hasn't shot any free throws. I feel like you can count him on one hand pretty much with this dude. He's averaging .7 a game this season. If you bump him up to starters minutes, that probably goes to about one and a half free throws a game. So who cares if he makes 75% of those? But there's no impact on anything. In his defense, he's actually shooting 83% at the line this year on almost none, <laughs> which actually makes it kind of more impressive because it's really hard to get a rhythm if you're not taking shots. Uh, I also like Justin Holiday, by the way, although he's probably less fun because you know you're going for, you're just gunning for threes and steals with Justin. It's not going to be anything else. It's just those two categories. With Craig, at least you can kind of look at threes, boards, steals, blocks, field goal percent. There's a lot of things that could break the right direction. So with Indiana, I like Torrey Craig as my favorite pickup here with Miles Turner out. I think Justin Holiday is good enough to use almost regardless of who's healthy, which makes him a really uh, safe low ceiling, high floor kind of guy. Makes more sense, I think, in head-to-head because he's a set-it-and-forget-it type. And then Goga is your more of a lightning-in-a-bottle one. Maybe if you catch him on the right night, he goes for 15 and 10 with four blocks. But if you don't, he might foul out in eight minutes with four points, a rebound, and two block shots on like one out of four shooting and two out of four at the free throw line. So things can really break the wrong way with Goga quickly. I do think with both centers out, he is inside the top 100. But I'll tell you right now, as soon as Sabonis comes back, Goga's the first guy I'm getting rid of. Maybe I should use a picture of Tory Craig as the headline. I really did bury the lead on this show because Tory Craig, to me, is probably the most interesting thing that's come out of the last two or three days in the NBA, and nobody's talking about him at all. I know a lot of you guys are going to be like, well, should I drop so-and-so for Tory Craig? My answer is, I don't know. It's going to have something to do with your team, but I mean, it's not that often that what appears to be a relatively, now we might see more O'Shea Brissett as time goes on. That could actually take a little bit away from Craig, but there, there's almost nobody that, at least in the short term here, it looks like is in front of him in the power forward pecking order. He's the starting power forward. He's playing big minutes. As long as he doesn't get completely exhausted, he's the guy. He's the guy, and we know enough about him to know what he does with 30 minutes on a court. I mean, th- this just doesn't come along very often. This is a this is a month-long stream. And you can look at Torrey from previous seasons as well. You go back to last year, playoffs or regular season, whether you want to talk about it. I mean, his playoff game last year, uh, you know, maybe that was a... That might have been the play-in game last season, actually. Is that the play-in game where he went for 30 minutes? 11-6-4, and six, four, steal in two blocks? I think it might have been a play-in game. I might be losing my mind. Doesn't matter. Basically, just go through Torrey Craig's entire career and look for games where he's played uh, 30 minutes or more, and they're almost almost 100% hit rate. Like, look at last year, May 2nd, 31 minutes, 18 and 10, a steal and two blocks. April 25th last year, 32 minutes, 20 points, 14 rebounds and a block. It's not just this year. It's whenever. 
Problem is, he never gets 30 minutes because he's almost never a guy that should get 30 minutes unless everyone in front of him is knocked out. You can look at his work in the bubble. I think that was with Denver, if I'm not mistaken. 34 minutes, 11 and 7, 2 assists, a steal, a block, and a three-pointer. Wasn't that the bubble? No, it wasn't Denver because he didn't... Uh, I've lost track of where the hell Torrey Craig was over the last few years. Midway through the season before it got canceled, he had a stretch where he played 36, 32, 31, and then 30 minutes. Guys were hurt, 8 and 12 with a block, 11 and 7, a steal and a block. I think you guys get where I'm going with this. There's almost 100% hit rate. When Torrey Craig plays 30 minutes, provided at least that, like, the other thing on this is, you know, he's not the fifth option in the starting lineup right now because some of these other guys are not very good. You know, Lavert and Brogdon come back. That obviously punches him down a couple of pegs, but you know, he's going to get eight, nine, ten shots a game simply by being out there 30-plus minutes and the team being down right now, their main guy in Sabonis, but then also Miles Turner. So there's a lot to like there, and I, I just I don't know why everybody's... It's because he doesn't score. That's it. The answer's right there in front of my face. In any event, that is your weekend review show. We managed to do it without waking the child. We managed to do it at a, a low volume with big inflection. And thank you guys for coming along for the ride. Shout out once again to our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Hey, if you want a special new account, I have a, a gift for you if you don't have a MyBookie account already or if you have one and you're thinking about having another, maybe for a spouse, relative, something like that, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Shout out, as always, to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Get 15 months for the price of 12. And then, of course, our other two partners that we told you about earlier in the show, Thrive, Fantasy, and Manscaped.com. Monday, reverse chronological lightning round on the other side of the weekend. Enjoy it. Be safe. We're getting through this thing, guys. We're getting through it. NBA season trucking along 55% of the way done. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Another week in the books. This, a sports ethos presentation. Later. Later.